Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Emily, and I use pronouns like they, them, theirs. And I'm Pastor Kay, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Pastor Justin, and my pronouns are he, they. In this episode, we'll discuss All Saints, which this and every year falls on November 1st, though it is frequently experienced in worship on the first Sunday in November, which is November 6th this year. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. Today, for our deep dive into death, we are joined by Reverend Justin Thornburg, who is a artist, activist, death doula, and goth dad. <laughs> they are the founder of Thresholds End of Life Planning and Accompaniment. So, I have to say my immediate question is, how did you get into this line of work? Or how does one become a death doula? Like, I think I know what that means. But how do you get there? Sure. Well, for me, everybody has their own path. Everyone that I've talked to has their own path on how they got there. But mine, mine really started back when I was, geez, before kindergarten actually. And I'm 45 now. That's when the seed was planted. I remember vividly that my babysitter's husband had died and I was taken to the visitation. And at that visitation, I just had this profound sense of this is something special. It wasn't sad. There was sadness, but it wasn't sad. It in my four-year-old brain was something profound. Mm-hmm. And really from that moment throughout my entire life, I've had sort of like this memento mori, remember that you're going to die, presence with me. Jump forward to my early 20s when my dad died. His was a 10-year decline from diabetes, but a 24-hour death. He had a heart attack that in a healthy person could have been treated with a stent, but because of the deterioration from the disease, they couldn't do anything. And in those 24 hours, we in between lucid moments, we had nothing prepared. We had no advanced directives, no living will, no DNR, none of those essentials taken care of. And so in between lucid moments, we would try to get him to sign things. And that sort of was another laying of the groundwork. And then in my work as a pastor, I've encountered that same story many times with parishioners of, you know, either a sudden tragedy and or or a sudden diagnosis that we work through but and then i pastor in a poor neighborhood and i've seen the funeral industrial complex um take advantage of folks and so that all built up to this i finally got to a point where my congregation went part-time with me and so i was trying to figure out what i can do what can i do and what my calling was you know i've felt for a while that Maybe pastoral ministry is more of a a smaller part of my larger Mm -hmm. call. And so it hit me that I'm like, I want to be able to coach people on death. It was a couple of years ago, right around this time of year, when that sort of like aha moment happened. And so I like, maybe I could call this like a death doula or something like that. And so I Google death doula. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's people (laughs) already doing this. (laughs) I'm like, I must be on the right wavelength here. And so through connections via Instagram, especially, I've made a lot of connections and education to get to where I am. How one becomes one, again, is very just how one answers that call. There are mentorships, there are trainings. It's unregulated, if you will. There's no overarching body to 
give you a stamp of approval, but there are no, no accreditation. Okay. Thank you. That's the word. But there are trainings and mentorships and apprenticeships. One of my mentors has a nine month long apprenticeship down in Atlanta. I would love to do it at some point, but right now we just have a mentor mentee partnership. Another, another friend of mine who is trans non-binary works with that demographic in Colorado and does a lot of grief work. And so and then there are so many different aspects of it. My friend in Atlanta is gifted at sitting bedside and just being a presence with folks. My mm-hmm. friend in Colorado is great at grief and grief work. One of my cohorts here, I'm part of a cooperative of deaf doers in the area. And one of my friends there specializes in palliative massage at the bedside. And so there are different angles. And my, my focus, because of my story, is I really have a calling to help people plan and get stuff in order, Let, help people understand their rights, know what those necessary papers are, what, what options you have for disposition of your body, what you can bring your own coffin to the funeral home. You don't have to buy one of their $10,000 ones. You can get a $400 one from Costco and bring it with you. You can, in all 50 states, you can have a home funeral. You know, and so to help folks understand these options, and then if they want, I also can help craft rituals or liturgies, if you will, for them, mm-hmm. help them plan their funerals and stuff like that. And so that's sort of my way into it and where my area of focus is. I think that answered the question. Yeah, <laughs> that's fascinating. I know a few people who are doulas, both in terms of birthing and in terms mm-hmm. of abortion and in terms Mm -hmm. of death and it's fascinating to me to like look at those those connections right because they're Mm -hmm. all the liminal space which like right right, you are the founder of thresholds it's like (laughs) in the name but we'll get more into this but there is something that is so holy and sacred in those liminal Mm -hmm. spaces that i really i really love yeah yeah Um, i mean the story of rispa is a anchor for my work. And it wasn't until I had a conversation with KPA in seminary, one of our Hebrew scripture professors. And because Emily and I went to seminary together, just yes. for the audience. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I took a class on Samuel with him and he was talking and we were having this conversation about this text and how the, the, the frame of that story is a drought over Israel. And, but it's not what people think it's the story is about the sacredness of burial and how mm. even Saul and Saul's sons deserved to be buried. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, and then with the way Rizba cared for the dead sons, her dead sons, you know, it's just the sacredness and the importance of caring for the dead and the dying. Um, yeah. You know. I did, I did a CPE residency in, 2019 2020 and we had like little breaks where we could like Mm -hmm. shadow people and I did one around grief and death and dying and shadowed like our bereavement chaplains and our hospice chaplains Mm -hmm. and it was like that that sacred space right that everybody deserves to die well yeah. And that looks like a lot of different things for a lot of different right. people. I'm curious if you work with hospice or like, I know hospice cares sometimes have like palliative right. massage as part of hospice yeah. care or that sort of thing. I haven't yet. My friend who does the massage, actually her day job is at a 
hospice, but she also has clients outside of there that she accompanies. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, that whole, you know, I people look at me strange when I say there's a beauty in it, but there, even in the hard deaths or the ones that aren't, there's just, for me, there's something beautiful in like the finality. I don't know. I'm yeah. Is, no, I would agree. Yeah. I remember I had a conversation once with a parishioner at a funeral of a 26 year old man. And she asked me, how do you do this? How do you get through this? And I, I looked at her and I said, this is not an easy funeral, but this is not one of the worst. Like it was a hard funeral, but also mm-hmm. like everyone showed up and supported each other and was really effusive about supporting mm-hmm. each other mm-hmm. in the family. And that was wonderful. I told her that the really bad ones, the ones where I go home and I don't know if I can keep doing this, are not ones like this. Those are the ones where I show up and almost no one is there. No one comes. Those are Mm -hmm. miserable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it makes our showing up all the more important. Yeah. 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 No, I feel you there. Mm -hmm. What have you found to be like the times and the spaces where your work feels... I guess like you kind of just answered this, but maybe there's other Mm -hmm. times and spaces too where your work feels most needed. Yeah, I think particularly the kind of work I do, a lot of times it's after somebody gets a diagnosis, a terminal Mm -hmm. diagnosis, that they're like, oh man, I got to do all this stuff, you know, or I don't even know where to begin, you know. And so it's just to help. I think I'm a process person and I like doing the work. And so Mm -hmm. I find that when folks are able to like sit down and actually put their name on a DNR or a living will or something. It's hard and it's sad, but it's also a bit liberating, if you will, because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure, that makes by sense. finding your name there, recognizing that, okay, this is real, you know, mm-hmm. and it helps to ground. And then I think in that grounding, then there's the opportunity for the conversation and the being present and the broader aspects of the work that can open up and people share stories or they share you know griefs or opens up something that until like that name gets signed is sort of in that denial space i think it's like it's that that real well and i am particularly like in a different space than i would be at other times in my life with this conversation my aunt died last year and we finally spread her ashes in august and her Mm. birthday is november 5th and so yeah we're like in the midst of that and also someone who's part of my chosen family is going through a lot of stuff with her mom who Mm -hmm. didn't think she'd ever need long-term care and so didn't Mm -hmm. sign power of attorney any of that and so now is having to like fight for custody and guardianship and all of that stuff and so like Mm -hmm. that space of planning and like the relief that I know it was for my aunt when she finally Mm -hmm. got an official hospice right like when she got like referred to hospice or whatever that then it could just be about what was most comfortable for her Mm -hmm. and what she needed Right. to for the rest of her life those last however many weeks what she mm-hmm. needed to be her best self in that space um, right yeah 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 i mean a lot of this is a returning to mm-hmm. what we've done for thousands of years you know, okay you were talking about like when the community shows up you know up until yeah. world war one you know the community showed up always in in these situation people took care of their own family without 
all of these other people involved in this. So yeah, there's this returning too. And I think it's an empowerment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious if you have experienced a difference for folks. Like you said that you come in a lot of times at a diagnosis, but have you noticed like a difference between those who like have the diagnosis and so have time versus like the experiences you have with folks who it is all of a sudden, like potentially like with your dad or like those sorts of situations? You know, those situations have been more in my pastoral role than the doula role because I haven't had that many clients in the doula role. But yeah, I mean, as a pastor, I've seen that because I've tried to encourage people even before I was doing this work to get things together. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, there's with the longer term diagnoses, I guess, there is like an initial shock and then we can have the conversation. But a lot of times it's not been until things start to decline Mm -hmm. that people have said, oh, Let's, let's jump out on this. Yeah, but good. at least at that point, though, seeds had been planted mm-hmm. for the conversation or for the, the work that it's been ahead instead of it being just like, oh, holy crap. I tried not to get r there. Holy crap moment. <laughs> and then, you know, with the folks that have had the bam sort of diagnosis, you have this much time left. Yeah. You know, there's just so many other things we need to process in that moment. You know, as a doula, one of the things that I try to make sure people know is that even though I'm ordained clergy, I'm not coming in that role as somebody's pastor, or I'm not yeah. coming in mm-hmm. as a chaplain. I'm coming in as somebody to accompany, to work with, and to walk alongside, sure. but not to supplant any spiritual care or anything. Yeah. Like, I encourage people to talk to their pastors and talk to their rabbis. Right. And, sure. You know, do, you know. You, you can tell me where, you know, I joke that, you know, one of the things in our pre-planning conversations is find somebody that can clear your computer browser history and <laughs> take the stuff out of your bottom dresser drawer before your family gets, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, and so to be able to have those, those conversations that you might not want to have with your pastor. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Um, sure. Although I know so, a few pastors who have stories um, about that, but yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. I think we all do. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and so along those lines, and I'm sure you will maintain proper anonymity and all, but do you have a particularly powerful story as a death doula that shows why all of this intentional care around death is so important? Maybe something that's happened to you while you've been doing this? Not necessarily while I've been doing it, just because I haven't been doing it that long. But, you know, I, I do have the story of a, a parishioner who had all of this stuff in order and had a relatively rapid decline from cancer. And I remember that there was a community that gathered around this person. And because of this person's you know, I'm going to say their preparation, like they had done all this work, like before I I really knew them because it was actually relatively early in my pastorate. But to experience that of somebody who said, I'm going to die at home and I'm going to invite friends and family to be there. And just like, it was a deeply powerful and profound experience. And Mm -hmm. that's my hope that people are able to do after or through our, the work that we do together is to be able to 
be so empowered that you can choose, no, I want to be alone and in a hospital and that's fine. Or I want to be at home surrounded by all these people and that's fine. But that you can make those choices and to have them made and written down so that when you're not able to verbalize that they still get honored because that was, but by the time that particular gathering happened, this person was sleeping 99.9% of the time. When I like, that is a beautiful, like, care for yourself, your future self, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also a profound care for your family or for your right. loved ones, right? Because they don't yeah. have to worry of or wonder or fight or argue about what you would have wanted, how you would have right. wanted it, what hymns you want if you're doing a funeral, like, all of that stuff because you have yeah. told them. Right, yeah. Right. And you have it written down. Yep. My internship congregation had done that. And it was like this beautiful gift. And I have not been at a congregation long enough to like do that with people. But that (laughs) Mm -hmm. is in the cards for me as a pastor. I think it's always an important thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I tell people the greatest gift you can give is to be prepared to have those things in order. Because frankly, grief tends to do a real number on your memory and your ability to articulate anything. And so your family members probably aren't going to be able to remember anything or be able to say anything about you in those times. Right. Right. We've talked about some stuff that like is helpful and that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. but I'm curious, like, what do you wish people just knew about death? That it's not like in the movies. Right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I think that's the hardest thing for people when they're around a loved one who's dying, who is actively dying, who's like in what what we call the labor of death, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. that it's not, you know, pretty music in the background and, you know, just one last peaceful. gasp. No, your body is, your body's doing what your body's made to do when you're dying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's doing it's things in a certain order. Yeah. And it's shutting down in a certain order, you know, your muscles and your face, that's your, your jaw will go slack. You know, people will be breathing from their mouth. You'll have what they call a death rattle, you know, and that's natural. Yeah. There's no yeah. suffocation happening. It's just your body's secretions, you know, settling down and there's modeling in the skin. It's, it's not, you know, it's not like in the movies and, you know, for for the audience and for you all, I highly recommend following if you're on Instagram or Twitter, Hospice Nurse Julie this at Hospice Nurse Julie. Julie. Yeah, she um, is an amazing death educator. She's obviously a hospice nurse and has been for years. And she's actually done a series with families' permission, actually with videos that families have sent to her of educating and saying, "Trigger warning! I'm going to show you what this part of death looks like," and so show it and you know just so people can understand that it's not like in the movies there are sounds there are smells there and quite frequently it's so much slower yeah yeah the number of people who like get so worried when they Mm -hmm. hear someone's breathing change yeah and like but like they think it's pain and they think the person's in pain and it's like Mm -hmm. no like if they're very fidgety right they might be in pain right but the yeah. breathing, I... Mm-hmm. And the, the reaching. Yeah. You know, yeah. Some people don't yeah. like to watch movies and TV shows with me anymore. Because if there are death scenes, I'm like, that's not how it <laughs> happens in real life. Right, right. Like, 
Yeah. I have I have seen a lot of death as a chaplain. Yeah. Last yeah, breaths no. are never. I have never seen anything like in the movies for a last right. breath. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, and also they're never predictable. You will think right. that someone has finally breathed their last and then they will just keep going for 20 minutes because they're, you know, out mm -hmm. to be unpredictable yeah. or right. something. Well, and the rally is a real thing. Yeah. Like, and yeah. that it's to be expected. You know, there's a, a nurse. She's actually one of like the founders of hospice care, Barbara Carnes. She's a, another name to look up, but she has a bunch of really short 10, 12 page booklets that are fantastic that I encourage pastors to stock up on and give to family, death workers. But they they talk about one of them is, you know, what to expect when you die or when your loved one's dying, you know, it, or, you know, yeah, they're just, they're fantastic. They're simple and they're just like, this is what it is. But she's phenomenal. Yeah. Nice. That sounds like a fantastic resource for people. I will definitely be looking it up for sure. And we'll will link to hospice nurse julie and yeah and i'll double check that that's her actual yeah what what do you feel like people most frequently struggle with when it comes to death like whether it's their own death or the death of a loved one i think that it's inevitable <laughs> you know like we we become so desensitized to death for good and bad that when the reality yeah. of imminent death happens or occurs, wait a minute, what do you mean I'm going to die? You know, I, mm. or what do you mean my loved one? They've been so healthy their whole life, you know? And so it's just yeah. the fact that we've forgotten that it happens until it happens or until something causes us to come to that realization. And so, yeah, yeah so I think that's what I've encountered the most. It's just like a surprise. No. And we spend so much time on stories of people overcoming and avoiding right. death mm -hmm. and, you know, getting out of it in the last minute. And we spend no time on the stories of what the death process right. is actually right. like. And there's this, like, we, we didn't, like, categorically, our culture, particularly in the United States, the dominant culture, just denies it, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. it's such a, like, it's such a beautiful thing to actually be able to admit it and like my aunt had talked about because she had parkinson's she didn't die mm -hmm. from parkinson's but she had parkinson's so she knew mm -hmm. her body would deteriorate to a point where she no longer felt like it was worth living right so she had talked about sure. like going to the netherlands or oregon or mm -hmm. right like going to a place right. where she could die on her own terms right. and that made such a big difference in her approach to hospice sure and that's not what everybody around her had in their head they had right. the no you can still fight it no you can still whatever and mm -hmm. there was just yeah. this like juxtaposition where i was like i'm gonna take my aunt's side on everything right because she's the one yeah. dying like right but doctors do it too doctors do it all the time oh yeah yeah doctors yeah want people to live mm -hmm. that is what they signed up for right yeah they didn't sign up for quality of life over quantity of life they signed up for mm -hmm. life right and it's hard yeah yeah it, is. it really is and yeah just to help folks navigate all of that it's a threshold guide you know, mm -hmm. I mean, there, there are all the stories of you know, community death workers 
throughout history, you know, the, the people who birthed the children were the same ones who, you know, buried the dead, you know, yeah. this, this cycle. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. But... <laughs> no, but it is like, although it makes sense because if you're going to trust the one person with the secrets of the family on the one end of life, mm -hmm. of course you would trust them with the secrets of the family on the other end. <laughs> Cause right. you're going to find out a lot about people when you Both birth and bury mm -hmm. them. Yeah. yeah. I, there is, I don't remember what it's called, but there was a movie that I saw that was, I want to say it was based in Japan, but I'm not positive, but it was, it followed someone whose job was to prepare bodies after mm -hmm. someone died and it's this like simultaneously really important role and there's like shame around the people that mm -hmm. do that role and stuff if i can if i can remember what it's called i'll link to it in our episode description but it cool. was this like there are right like they find out if people are trans sometimes mm -hmm. like there's so much yeah. complexity in that very sacred very liminal space right yeah um so you are here for All Saints Day, which is <laughs> commonly the day of death, but also increasingly like connected to baptisms as well. And that, so like reinforcing that birth, death, yeah. death, rebirth cycle. And it tends to be connected to what some people call thin spaces, which is like where the veil or the border between life and death is not quite as fixed, right? It's a very liminal mm -hmm. space. And I'm curious if you've experienced that in your work or your life. I know, I think I remember from seminary that, because this comes from like Celtic traditions. Mm -hmm. And so that's part, I think, of your ancestry. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've, I've experienced thin places, not necessarily in the work, but in, in my own life. You know, there's, for me, those spaces are out in nature, particularly if I find like an old tree or something that I sit down with and I begin to just sort of connect with how long that tree has been here and then it's like the, a veil lifts and there is a permeability between my reality that I'm experiencing and a different reality. It's so difficult to even try to explain but it's one of those things that I think particularly for me living in this momento mori sort of state since I was four years old has really opened up and uh, because there is a sense of welcome for that. I don't know. But yeah, it does come from the tradition of my ancestors. And I think that that's another part of it too. So there's this rootedness and this connectedness to my ancestors in that. And in this work, you know, knowing that my ancestors came over during the hunger in, in the 1830s, 1840s, and how much death there was around them at that time and how much they had to take care of it and to be there for each other. And I think that's a thin space that connects me to this, this work. Yeah. Yeah. And so going off of that question, and also, I suppose, partly related to the fact that we just did our crossover episode with Horror Nerds at Church about Hocus <laughs> Pocus 2, have you ever had any spooky experiences in your work? Or maybe somebody was expecting spookiness and it didn't happen or something yeah, like that? I saw that question when I was looking through the stuff earlier. And <laughs> yeah, I can't think of anything necessarily related to this topic i've had spooky experiences i think i shared one on hard nerds at church <laughs> episode yeah. <laughs> yeah no i i don't i can't think of anything necessarily spooky or what that i thought was going to be spooky and wasn't 
I suppose I haven't ha actually had a spooky experience around death, but I did once have a gentleman who we went to visit him as he was dying. And after a while, we took his wife down to the cafeteria to have a cup of coffee. And while we were down there, he died. Mm. And the pastor I was shadowing that day told me, because he had had a relationship with them for some time, mm. that he was pretty sure that, that the man had intentionally waited for his wife to leave so that yeah. she wouldn't have to watch. And that, I thought that was that, very sweet. That story I've heard a lot. Yeah. That has happened yeah. with yeah. multiple um, people. In my family. Well, here, here, here's a little woo-woo story, I guess. Not necessarily spooky, but mysterious. Is yeah. that when my dad died, this just came to me. In the hospital that he was at, they always had a chime that played lullaby when a baby was born. Mm. And the instant he flatlined, the overhead speaker started playing lullaby. Mm. Oh. And so that, that was something that always really sort of stuck and was yeah. meaningful and was just a little moment yeah that's beautiful yeah. that yeah. basically never happens anymore because mm -hmm. at least not in hospitals that care for people who have the possibilities of getting pregnant because right for folks who have had miscarriages or injured right. deaths or those sorts of things yeah, I, like, yeah I don't even know bad. if they do that I doubt they do that anymore that this was 23 years ago yeah the so. hospital I did my chaplaincy residency at mm -hmm. every year or so someone would submit the question of like why don't we do the mm, chimes yeah. anymore when the babies are right. born and they would be like because Cause. patients might not know but like because for the rest of us it like for those who have experienced trauma or yeah. miscarriage it can be really harmful absolutely yeah. yeah yeah i'm curious because this is nerds at church of course do you have favorite depictions of death or like thin space between life and death or that sort of thing in pop culture? Oh man, I do. And it's sort of like on the tip of my tongue and I can't get it out. Well, yeah. And I don't know that this is pop culture. It's sort of theater nerd that culture. Counts. Any kind of, oh, I'm, I'm talking any kind of nerd There's nerdiness. There's a fantastic author by the name of Dennis Johnson, very gritty, very earthy, sort of, sort of, you know, if you're familiar with Sam Shepard, sort of in that same sort of school of writing. But he wrote some plays, and I worked on a trilogy of them when I was in Chicago, and they all dealt with sort of death and grief and demons. <laughs> Um, mm. and, and, and stuff sure. but they played really they worked a lot with this whole present reality spiritual reality sort of stuff and it they're fantastic shows full of a horror is my favorite of the three it's about a washed up revival preacher who he runs into this family and they sort of start to feed off each other and then there's this demon that sort of is like <laughs> whispering into everybody's ear throughout the whole thing it's Fantastic, but it, it it sort of straddles that line over there. Yeah, that's really cool. I really yeah. love this. It is the season. I really love Coco. There's there yeah. is a like border patrol aspect that I do not love at all, but I do love that weaving in between and around of like into into the land of the dead and out of the mm -hmm. land of the dead and yeah. the Ali Ali Haze and like. Yeah. 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 And it's just beautiful. Like the songs right. are beautiful. The oh, yeah. the artwork is beautiful. Yeah. You know, Hades Town and the Persephone and like those sort of stories are always mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Kay, do you have favorites? You know, I made the mistake of not thinking about this question in advance, <laughs> but I was just remembering there was a video game that I played recently called The Forgotten City, which mm. is a puzzle game, essentially, not like small puzzles, but you're trying to solve this interpersonal problem going on. And you wind up dealing with the concept of death from four different ancient civilizations, which it makes more sense. In, well, okay, it makes slightly more sense in context, <laughs> but the different ways that each civilization approached death and the different ways that you see people from those civilizations approach death mm. is explored pretty thoroughly. Mm. And you don't usually get good depictions of people being like human, mm -hmm. like really mm. deeply human in video right. games. And this one did a pretty good job of pulling that off. Uh, so. Is there anything else that, I guess, that, like, in the realms of death and dying and doulas? Just in general? Yeah. 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 You know, I... Or your favorite... <gasps> okay, answer that question, then I'll ask another one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think my, my hope in death education and this work is to help build or rekindle or reshape community mm -hmm. and what it means because I think a lot this is gonna sound I don't know silly maybe but I think a lot of issues that we have could find pathways for healing and stuff if we are able to remember that we're all going to die. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that if we are able to as a community ground ourselves in the fact that this time we have is finite mm -hmm. this situation we have is finite that that it gives us a freedom to live fully to love fully to take risks that maybe we won't because of this denial of our mortality i think if we can embrace the fact that we are mortal not stop denying it as a society it will help folks to care for each other more i really do yeah. okay the question that i thought of so we, we talked about like favorite thin spaces in pop culture and that sort of a thing mm -hmm. but do you have a favorite death scene in any type of fiction or nonfiction? Mm -hmm. I just made this up, hmm. so none of us have heard I, this. <laughs> I don't necessarily have a favorite death scene, but I have a favorite book that deals with death, and it's The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. Mm. Ooh, I have heard it's, good things. I have not gotten to that think one yet, The but... Jungle Book set in the graveyard with ghosts. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Bod's family is murdered. So he's basically raised by the ghosts in the graveyard across the street from his house. It's fantastic. Yeah, That's the graveyard awesome. book by Neil Gaiman. My yeah. favorite book that deals with death is Cry Heart But Never Break. It's a children's book that a friend of mine mm. reads every All Saints Day for the children's sermon. Um, and it's about kids whose grandmother is dying and death comes to visit. And they're all scared of death at the beginning. And it's, yeah. It's a fantastic book, especially That's like awesome. in the space of talking to kids about hard things and grief. Sure. Yeah. That sounds what about you, Kate? Do you have It one? may not technically meet the definition of a book, but in terms of treatment of death in storytelling, I, I have to say I have to go with Macbeth. Mm -hmm. Death is dramatic. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to 
do drama about death, you have to turn it up to 11. And by golly, oh, Macbeth yeah. does that in spades. <laughs> yeah. And so it's my favorite Shakespeare mm-hmm. play, which That's why apparently you, is unusual. Well, but Like you talk about Macbeth more than any other Shakespeare play. Well, that <laughs> and I was also in a production of it once. And we all nearly got killed by the woods of Dunsinane backstage during one of the evenings, which was kind of exciting. Somebody... If you use giant tree branches for the woods of Dunsinane, you really need to make sure they're not going to fall down right. on anybody. Right. <laughs> that turned out to be a problem. <laughs> but so it was a dramatic experience of my life, mm-hmm. in addition to being a dramatic experience <laughs> of drama. Yeah. But yes, yeah. that's a good one. I've never actually seen Macbeth, so... I might have to check out both of those. Oh, there are a lot of good productions of it. Nice. That's awesome. So our readings for this episode, our first reading is Daniel chapter 7 verses 1 through 3 and 15 through 18. The prophet Daniel has a vision which announces that no matter which earthly rulers come and go, the people of God will still receive God's reign. So I, as our listeners know, have been getting much more into horror because I'm co-hosting a podcast about it, but I couldn't help. And it's you know, consensual. Mostly. Pretty much. Yeah, I couldn't help. Just kidding. It is totally consensual. I didn't realize I would be getting yes. this much into horror. Mm-hmm. You're just surprised. Head. Yeah. I like, as I was reading Daniel, I was like, this sounds like a horror movie set up. Like, oh yeah. The great mm-hmm. beasts. And so then I was thinking of like, children of the corn which we covered at the beginning of this season or like we're in the middle of nightmare on elm street and the like nightmares and dreams and visions and all of that stuff and then like add into that that like for me dreams feel very much like a thin place Mm -hmm. and a place where people who have died do come visit and interact Mm -hmm. yeah it was just a lot of it was a lot this this passage (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As we jump into the verses, when we read verse 15, we read, as for me, Daniel, my spirit was troubled within me and the visions of my head terrified me. And continuing on the theme of horror movies and also liminal spaces, I will share a quick personal story for this one. It is a fairly rare thing, but there are certain ADHD medications that can induce hallucinations in some people. It doesn't happen a lot, but it's on the side effect list for a reason. And I found that out Mm. the hard way when I was trying a new medication, which is why I won't be trying any new medications while I'm, you know, actively employed until I can take a nice long vacation for that. But basically, as I tried to go to sleep one night, but definitely while I was still awake, I became convinced that there was a demon in my room with me and I could hear it talking to me, but I couldn't move. Mm. Uh, It was deeply surreal and unsettling. And uh, I immediately stopped taking that med and it also had some other unpleasant side effects. But, you know, Daniel, I don't blame you for being upset. That is an entirely reasonable response. Even though I was like constantly asking myself, is this real Mm -hmm. or am I like, is this a hallucination? Because I knew that that was a possible side effect. It's just a very strange experience. And so if this kind of thing happens to our listeners, please, you know, know that you're not alone and also seek medical help. And if you're trying a new medication, please, you know, consider whether or not stopping that would help. So, But being neurodiverse often results in murdery. (laughs) And I thought that might be a useful notification for some of our shows. Yeah. I was, you know, in a nightmare space. So yours is a whole, yeah, multiple, multiple ways that our brains do things. Mm -hmm. And then in verse 17, we read, as for these four great beasts, four kings shall arise out of the earth. And this felt, I know it's seven, 
But in Graceling, there are seven kings, not four, but it felt very similar because it's all of these kings who like rise up and are ruling and they're like varying degrees of corrupt to not so corrupt. But ultimately in each of the kingdoms, like there's people who are working for justice and ultimately like as with Daniel's vision, the kings do not have the final say and do not last the way that they might want themselves to last. But in Graceland, it's like justice and sometimes even democracy comes about. But yeah. Justin, do you have anything you'd like to throw in about Daniel? I've always liked the back half of Daniel here. But the dream stuff and the the disturbance in the dreams, we were talking earlier about those thin spaces. Yeah. Just to echo what's been said, you know, as I think about some of the folks I've been with as they've been actively dying, you're able to really see that thin space. I, you know, there's one of the common things is the reaching out, right? And, you know, it's so common that, you know, it has a clinical name of visioning for folks. And I have to believe that there is that real piercing happening at that moment for it to be so common and not just like a muscular reaction or a nerve reaction right and so you know any time in scripture when i encounter dreams and you know they're always don't be afraid i'm like (laughs) you're you're taking me to this whole weird reality and so like like you said i'm like i don't blame you for being a little a little shook here and so yeah yeah my grandmother i wasn't there my sibling was there but my grandmother definitely saw my grandfather while yeah. she was in the hospital in hospice care and yeah it's i believe it yeah i mean it's it's too common to be a yeah. fluke yeah yeah our second reading for this episode is from ephesians chapter 1 verses 11 through 23 the author gives thanks for the faith of the people of ephesus and proclaims their inheritance of wisdom and power from god So as I was looking at this passage, I was thinking the way that power is framed, specifically as it's connected to authority and like in community organizing, right, the power is the ability to act and authority is part of how you get the ability to act more. And sometimes authority is taken and granted. But I love Blanca in pose as like a model of authority because she doesn't have it. She's not given authority and she's not given power. She earns it and she works really, really, really hard to earn it. And she doesn't earn it by being cruel to other people. She earns it by living her values in this new house. That, um, and, and by the end, like there is so much power and authority that mm-hmm. she has within the community and the work of the community. It's amazing. Love it. Yeah. It amazes me sometimes how people don't understand that the most powerful power is the kind that you have to earn mm-hmm. the hard way. Like there are things you can't buy. Yeah. yeah. It is true. That's, I was watching a TikTok. I think I have the link to it still, but I was watching today while I was waiting for coffee and the person was talking, she's a coach for like life coach, business coach. Mm-hmm. I don't know, some sort of coach. But she was talking to somebody who's like higher up management CEO and they were like talking about Quinn um, and unionizing and all of that stuff. And they're like, is this like going to go away anytime soon? And she was like, Mm -hmm. no, like this is a moment for the push for labor and organizing in a way that we haven't had in a very long time because of like this confluence of Mm -hmm. all of the things. But it is that space of like, this is more powerful, right? 
bet one Amazon warehouse can unionize, let alone potentially multiples that Starbucks. um, Yeah. Yeah. Whole different kind of power coming Mm -hmm. because there's no. Yeah. It's like that. that And we're reliving the 1920s. down power. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, I said, and we're reliving the 1920s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, totally. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that the labor movement is sort of what got me into activism and to organizing. In the town I went to college in, there was, it ended the year before I started, but there was about a four-year-long strike um, from three of the four major industries in the city, including with one of them ending in a lockout. And just by the time I started school, the year after everything had ended, the town had just been devastated. And yet there was a sense of community there from the bonding mm-hmm. and the the power that people felt, even though mm-hmm. you know the previous four years had economically destroyed the town. The people, they'd been through hell together. And, and there was just something yeah. beautiful about that. And that was my entree into activism and organizing is through learning their stories. But yeah, this, this mm-hmm. whole upside down power that Blanca has imposed, yeah. which I hadn't even thought of until you brought that up, which is just fantastic. Yeah. I, I love Blanca. I like my most common reference if I'm referencing Pose is Blanca <laughs> because she is just such an incredible yeah. character. Like communion, abundance, everything. So then in verse 13, we read, In Christ you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in Christ, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And one of my absolute favorite parts of a baptism happens right after the actual baptism, in at least in Lutheran traditions. And we say the baptized person's name, and then say, child of God, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. And I always love it. I always switch the cross of Christ and the sealed with the Holy Spirit um, (laughs) in order. I think Jesus is probably okay with that. I think so too. But I love, (laughs) I love that sense of like, I mean, it's, it's partly protection, but it's also just like this sense of belonging and of claiming of like, you're not alone in this anymore. You yeah. you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you. The cross of Christ has marked you. Like you don't have to go through life alone. Yeah. Which absolutely. Which is like maybe not technically a nerdy thing. We're going we're we're just being a little bit queerer than usual. I, you're in our nerding out about liturgy. That is a very pastoral thing to do. I yeah, it's fine. It's true. That's fair. Um, you know, as an American Baptist, I still I've stolen that part of the baptism liturgy for when I do baptisms. Because because of that, because of what you just said, Emily, is that, you know, in Baptist church, it can get very individualistic at times. And so it's a reminder of we are part of a larger community and we are part of a body mm. that spans beyond you, beyond me, beyond us. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's awesome. I always... I always enjoyed, particularly in seminary, the like spaces that you navigated being a Baptist at a Lutheran Mm -hmm. seminary. It was always really beautiful to like to navigate those liturgies and navigate those spaces together. Also, as Lutherans, we stole enough from the Catholic Church on our way out the door (laughs) that we really can't argue with other people stealing from us. That's (laughs) that's fine. Also true. 
And then in verse 17, we read, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the source of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I feel like I should point out at this time that receiving a spirit of wisdom from God will probably indeed not look like Rose Tyler in the season of the ninth doctor (laughs) of Doctor Who, becoming the bad wolf persona and suddenly understanding all of time and space while having phenomenal power and also, strangely enough, weirdly glowy eyes. (laughs) Probably that's not going to happen at least, you know, in my experience. However, you might say something insightful and that's also great. You know, don't, don't knock it. That's good. So I'm just saying, basically. Hmm. Or you could become the Dr. Donna when Donna basically becomes a Time Lord. Donna is fantastic, but also the way that, you know, bit ended, I'd rather not. That's true. Given that she's not allowed to remember the Doctor ever again or her adventures. that's, That's true. I would not want that part of it. Right. Yeah. But also Donna is very possibly one of the best companions yeah. ever. So it's true. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. Did you have other thoughts on Ephesians, no. Jason? Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> Sorry. It is a like You don't have there, to you don't have to. It is yeah. that there are some. That was a complete like, sentence. We just like to ask. Yeah. Our gospel reading for this episode is Luke chapter six, verses twenty through thirty one. In the Beatitudes of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus announces not only blessings for those in need, but also woes for those in power, and invites us to great generosity and gentleness. So one of the themes in this passage is this idea of script and like God's reign just like totally upending the value systems, right? The who is full and who is hungry and who is rich and... and it felt very Captain America y to me. Oh, character's name. Uh, Steve Rogers, like the scrawny kid that then like gets beefed up into like the epitome of masculinity, Captain America. Um, not that God usually does it that way, but no. it's an upending. And it's because he's the scrawny kid that he actually can be the epitome of masculinity and not the epitome of toxic masculinity. Absolutely. I mean, he's not perfect, but like his scrawniness is part of what is a gift for him in that upending. And I did see a Tumblr post a while back about how it probably also helped him fight better because he learned to fight as a scrawny kid and therefore would have still been using those techniques as a super powerful guy. And Mm -hmm. that made them even more powerful. So he could like jump and dodge and dive and stuff. And using people's weight against them and that kind of thing. Yeah. Makes sense. And then as we dive into the verses, in verse 21, we read, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And I I don't know that I have a more than average number of like deaths in my circle, aside from like when I was a chaplain at a trauma level one trauma sure. center type of thing. But growing up, I had like more deaths than I think your average person in, in college. And it this particular line, the blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh, always seems so weird to me because my experience has always been that grief involves, maybe not every time, but a lot of the time involves laughter. It involves weeping, but it also involves laughter because there's always the stories that we tell and it feels like the stories that most tug at our heartstrings after someone dies are the stories that also make us laugh. Because they're so 
particularly that or yeah so it's just like this weird that's the one part of the beatitudes that always is just a little bit weird for me because it's setting up a false binary right right? like that they are separate yeah Yeah, i mean i was sitting with a family this this week had a loved one die if it was going to be on saturday and yeah i mean there was so much laughter at that table, even under that weight of the grief yeah Yeah, absolutely you know the the thing about oh some of the best laughter i've ever had has been done particularly luke's beatitudes is just how real they are Um, jesus Mm -hmm. is naming you know those deep real feelings and experiences and not covering them over or hiding them you know blessed are you who are poor not uh, you know and he he doesn't spiritualize it like matthew does either you know he's like no blessed are you who are poor blessed are you who are grieving or weeping you know more you know not not those who are crying a little bit or those who are having a stiff upper lip blessed are you who are weeping and just like the the rawness of the emotions and experiences that are touched in have always meant something. Yeah. I, I come yeah, from absolutely. a stiff upper lip family and mm, to, to sure. express emotion or express a certain reality is frowned upon or And so to, to have Jesus saying, no, there's sacredness in your weeping. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I think that's especially for like folks who are socialized mm-hmm. to be boys Growing up, like the the weeping is for sissies right. and like all of that stuff is just like such a different. It's yeah. so harmful. Right? Yeah, it's so harmful to say you're not allowed to grieve. You're not allowed to be sad. You're not allowed to have emotions, right. and the only emotion that's allowed becomes anger and explosive and violent. And there's yeah. a lot of us who are unteaching that. Right, who are reteaching ourselves, but also teaching our kids differently so that they know that there is space for tears and for crying and for sadness and that those are real and honest. You know, I'm not sure which book of hers it is, but Brene Brown does tell a story at one point of sitting in a room with a bunch of battle-hardened military personnel, including at least one fairly high-ranking officer. And she asked, when have you seen the the greatest amount of courage? What is true courage to you? And mm-hmm. almost immediately, one of them responded, vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And she was floored because she was not expecting that answer from that group. But they all agreed. Yeah. Vulnerability is hard and scary, for sure. Yeah. And it takes a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. And then in verse 24, we read, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. And one of the examples that I tend to think of for this verse is the 2003 remake of The Italian Job. The original version of that movie has Michael Caine, which is definitely a plus. Mm -hmm. Gotta love Michael Caine. Also extremely trippy. (laughs) I... Unless you really like trippy movies, I don't necessarily recommend it unless you're also a super big Michael Caine fan. But the remake is pretty good as just a general action movie. And in that, the bad guy, who is played by Edward Norton, steals a bunch of money from his friends and runs away. And when they find him, he is super rich. He has a gorgeous house and absolutely no friends, no girlfriend or partner. He's desperate to try to get a date with the woman he thinks is there to repair his cable. His life is empty but he does have a ton of money and he, he has money and he has absolutely nothing else. And that is incredibly characteristic of this verse, I think. Yeah. 
characteristic of a couple billionaires mm-hmm. I know, oh. too. Okay, I don't actually know them. I, <laughs> I was going to say, Emily, if you knew billionaires, I'm pretty sure that like the world would be a very different place. Something would be different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, I agree with you, Justin. These are my favorite Beatitudes mm-hmm. easily. Although there's a, I think it's a cathedral in Mexico that has the Beatitudes in Spanish, the Matthew Beatitudes, and it has spirit of the poor. And the the sense of it is that you have to embody the spirit of the of people living in poverty, right? Like, and so there's a different kind of resistive mm. sense to it that I really love. But in general, I am much more a Luke person than a Matthew yeah. person. Yeah. And it mostly holds true for this too. Yeah. And now for our most fun segment, let's make a Muppets musical. Justin, <laughs> did you have any thoughts on Muppets that you would oh, like to cast? Goodness. I don't know. I, I always picture Paul Sam the Eagle. Just very, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think we yeah, agree with you. Yeah. Although the Ephesians text, I, I, I would like to hear Sam the Eagle's thinking about it. But yeah, yeah, that would yeah. be interesting. Because because this isn't Grumpy Paul. I, I usually think Sam the Eagle with like... Grumpy Paul. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would like to see Sam the Eagle yeah. joyful. That yeah. that sounds wonderful. <laughs> I would hope he would, you know, have as much enthusiasm about it as right. anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of like what yeah. four beasts <laughs> would be Muppets. That could be fun. I, that that yeah. could be a good. I don't know. I, I go. I, I start thinking Skeksis, not necessarily Muppets, but yeah. that's fine. <laughs> but, but but still that's hints fun. and creatures, right? Um, yeah. Yes, we have a very inclusive yes. podcast. Okay, excellent. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I was trying to think of the Book of Daniel, and I thought of him and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I'm thinking that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace and such would be played by the, and I know we actually looked up their names once, but it's not coming to me now, but the, the Muppets that go, yep, 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 And like, I, I could see Daniel asking them, you know, you doing okay, guys? Yep, 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 yep. And you're not, you know, being burned alive, right? Nope, 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 nope. And I think that could be fun. I think Daniel might be yeah. played by a person. No, I was thinking that too. Mm. And I'm... Like, Daniel has a lot of sass to him, and it would be hard to get that from Muppet. Um, excuse sure me, who... have you met Miss Piggy? I Miss Piggy is a special case. But, yeah, I, I mean, Daniel has like several multiple edges to his sass and i it i'm not saying it couldn't happen i'm just saying it would be harder and also like daniel being super dramatic i I think would be great fun with letting that be a person who is you know five times the size of a muppet but that's fair that's fair i think snuffleupagus would and big bird could be two of the beasts yeah that's who i would i could see that i'm not entirely sure like we're not supposed to be threatened by the beasts, right? They're just sort of like they're mm-hmm. hanging out. They're just like super annoying kings who and are weird. probably exploiting like, people, but ultimately God is more powerful. It's true. Well, yes, but like God is more powerful covers a lot of ground. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. I think Sam the Eagle would also be one of the four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think Sam the Eagle can cover that. a myriad of them. <laughs> <laughs> Usually when I'm casting Sam the Eagle, it's as somebody I don't particularly uh, care for. But, yeah. Who else? Yeah, yeah, I was trying to think of... I, I agree that Danielle should be a human, but I can't think of who could 
you know, part part of me thinks like like Matthew McConaughey, just very. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had this dream. <laughs> it was cool. It was cool. It was. I, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> I I saw the four kings. I said, "You're cool. You're cool. F you. You're cool." <laughs> <laughs> Daniel would have to have a pair yeah. of bongos. That's fine. Yeah, we can get Daniel some bongos. I was also kind of thinking Aldous Hodge, who is in Leverage and also many many other things, but he plays Hardison yes. in Leverage, which is where Emily will know him from, and I think he could swing the drama. I don't remember which one Absolutely. he is. Hardison is the young black man. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That that's some. We only have three beasts, but that that seems okay. <laughs> I'm I'm sure we'll be back talking about the beasts eventually. Yeah. <laughs> just the way this show goes. I'm just saying. Okay. Anyway. Yes. So Justin, any other thoughts on life, the universe or, oh, and everything? You know, when I read that, I, my first answer was 42, but, but you Not know, I, I think if, if I can leave with anything, it's just, you know, memento mori and that, that has become so important to me. You know, remember you die when, when, when it hits the fan or, when, when things are, it, it just, I don't know, for me, it just grounds me in into a present place. I can suffer from anxiety stuff and believe it or not, remembering I'm going to die helps ground me because it, yeah. it is a, no, it is a, but yeah. So I, I think if, if we can ground ourselves in that, yeah, I, I don't really think I have anything profound other than. That works. Yeah, it's that's pretty profound. Yeah, I was gonna say that it, that is profound. <laughs> like I, I, I realize like... that you're used to talking about this kind of thing all the time, but still, <laughs> but some of us are not. Um, I do think I was talking to a friend the other day, and I love outer space, mm-hmm. which has a similar like grounding effect to oh. for me of like the vastness of outer space. And for my friend I was talking to, it is like that is a major anxiety mm-hmm. space. And so I feel like there's a similar thing that happens with like remembering your mortality. Yeah. There is a sense that it can be grounding and there is also a sense that it can be like massively anxiety. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Depending yeah, on either way. the person. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually I'd like to throw in a quick shout out to all the folks who do work with hospice, who are some of the best human mm-hmm. beings on the planet. And I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't mention how wonderful hospice folks are yeah. yes. on absolutely. this episode of all episodes. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. If you haven't looked up your local hospice or your local death doulas, check now. You don't have to wait until you're actually dead right. to look. And yeah. a lot of it's hospices accept or seek volunteer help. So. It's true. Absolutely. Yeah. My mom did that for a while yeah. before the pandemic yeah. and she really loved it. Yeah. I was going to say, I think they're starting to get back into yeah. volunteers. At yeah. yeah. Here settings, in Indianapolis, so. one of the hospice systems is opened back up for fun. Nice. Yeah. Very holy space. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for this 22nd Sunday after Pentecost. This podcast has been produced by us, Kay Roloff and Emily Ewing. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Nerds at Church or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As, and more, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. It is way cheaper than 
a coffin, whether you buy it at Costco or the funeral. <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, if you can find a coffin that's cheaper than our Patreon, then maybe don't go with that one. That would probably be a bad choice. I mean, unless it's like a hand me down. I was going to say, in which case, actually, no, still a bad choice. Hand me down, not a good call for coffins. <laughs> I was thinking like shrouds, and you could probably find a shroud that would be like, I suppose, less than maybe I mean, a you know, year of curtains at Goodwill or something. Coffins. But, yeah, sure. If you're going to be cremated, if cremated, you're going to be cremated yes. you can rent the coffin for the viewing. Then, oh, yeah. Huh. Sure. We always did a memorial service. If you were going to be cremated, you just had a memorial service and the ashes were right. there in our family. But that also would work. Also, there are crematoriums in most places that will cremate someone for mm-hmm. way cheaper yeah. than a funeral home. Yeah. Lots of options. Death doesn't have to bankrupt yeah. you. Amen. Also, this feels like a weird place to insert this, but we probably should anyway. Also, let us know on Facebook or Twitter who you would cast for Let's Make a Muppets Musical for this episode. I'm sorry, there was no good segue for there, that. No, there was not. I Nobody claimed that we could transition well on this podcast. Nobody. I certainly can't. Really I'm small, even wearing yes. the right shirt for it. I'm wearing my 2NB to transition shirt under its fall. But um, yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. The ancient Christian said, Pox 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 Pox